So I invite you to Psalm 63. It's been a while since we've been in the Psalms, so we've made our way all the way to 63. I'll just read this and then we will study it together. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because of your steadfast love, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I will praise you anyway. If you recall our study of the Psalms, we made the observation, I think the last time when we were in 62, we made the observation that David's flight from Absalom It must have been for him the most heart-wrenching and the most physically demanding and mentally exhausting challenge of his entire life because that event, fleeing from Absalom, leaving Jerusalem, that event for him brought forth more psalms than any other event in his life. It wasn't his time of being a a steady keeper of the sheep. It, It wasn't his amazing slaughter of Goliath. It wasn't his dramatic rise to the throne that occupied his heart and his pen. It was the betrayal of his own son. That is what thrust David to sincerely and urgently seek God and in seeking God in such an urgent desperate way to find God and to know the comfort and the strength and the promise and the assurance of having the Lord as his shepherd of knowing God to be his fortress 
of coming to know God as being his rock. In many of David's psalms where Absalom's threat and pursuit is in the background, in many of those cases we find David crying out to God. We find him kind of in the middle of his crisis, to use terms from this morning. While he's fleeing and while he's being surrounded and while his life is being threatened, we hear him crying to God. We, we, we see him seeking refuge in the refuge that he knows is there. But here in Psalm 63, this seems to be a psalm that is, is written from the perspective of having found that refuge, having known that refuge. The circumstances, we, we see the, the circumstances in the superscription here. So the, the circumstances have not changed. They are still, so still the same context in the writing of Psalm 63. But David's perspective of his circumstances has changed. He's no longer seeking so much as now he's rejoicing in the finding of this refuge. The finding of God's sufficiency and promise. He has learned, David has, has learned throughout this soul-stretching anguish circumstance. He has learned, and it's here for us to learn as well, that whatever occasion of life and Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we can praise God anyway. Psalm 147 verse 1 says this, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. It's always fitting. There's never a moment that it's not right to praise God, that it's not good and pleasant to praise God. No matter where we are in life, it, it's always fitting to sing praises to God. And, and this seems to be, at least to me as I'm reading through it and thinking through it, that seems to be kind of the, the, the energy or the feeling of Psalm 63 and that's why the title of the sermon is, I, I Will Praise You Anyway. So first of all, let's think through this together. And in verses 1 through 4, we kind of hear David saying, My circumstances will not deter my praise. My circumstances, we might could say, will not dictate my praise. My circumstances will not alter my praise. How, however you want to say it. <clears throat> Now, the last part of verse 3 and verse 4, that's where David lands. That's, that's where he settles. That's, that's his conclusion that he's arrived at. And his conclusion is, my lips will praise you. So, meaning taking all of this into account, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. In other words, I will praise you anyway. Now, verse 1 gives us insight into those 
kind of circumstances, what he's feeling, what he's going through, the, the spiritual pressure that he's under, his present circumstances, how they have impacted him, particularly how they have impacted his spiritual state. He says, my soul thirsts for you. He confesses that, that his soul is dry and parched and, and empty. What does it mean to thirst? Well, you know what it means. If, if you are thirsty, that's the first and foremost thing on your mind. You don't set aside thirst and, and figure it out tomorrow. When, when you are truly in a state of thirst, that takes precedent. That takes primary concern of your life. You, you must have water. You must quench that thirst. It, it rules your decisions. Just as the body grows relentlessly thirsty in a, in a dry and, and weary place, so does the soul grow relentlessly thirsty for God in situations that has rendered our hearts dry and weary. When we get to that parched place in our soul, we know that simply nothing will do apart from God, apart from communing with Him knowing his refreshment. So just as we must have water on those occasions when we are so extremely thirsty, we must have God. We must have God. That's what David is saying. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. He says, my soul thirsts for you. And then he says, my flesh faints for you. In other words, he's saying, my my whole person, everything about me, I need the Lord. I, I need you. I, I have grown weary. I have grown tired. He is, he is absolutely spiritually and therefore also physically just exhausted from the strain and the heartache and the testing and the, and the pressure and the threatening and the situation that's out of his control. He's grown weary. But he will not be deterred in his praise because the God that can satisfy the thirsty soul and fainting flesh is David's God. Notice what he says here. O God, you are my God. You are my God. The atheist says there is no God. The world says there are many gods. The believer says, oh God, you are my God. That is a total, complete different orientation to the divine being of the universe than than any other system of religious thought. God, you are my God. And that's where the sure source of refreshment will come, in that personally knowing God as our God, knowing that we belong to Him and that He is ours and that we are His. So now we see verses 2 and 3 then, the first part of verse verse 2 to the first part of verse 3, that's how He gets from verse 1 to verse 4. 
How he gets from being so thirsty, seeking his God, the only God that can satisfy, to the place where he will praise the Lord anyway, even though he finds himself in a place that has taxed his soul and body, he will praise God anyway. Why? Because he has seen the Lord. Does this sound familiar? Did we hear something kind of like this this morning in Job 1? He has seen the Lord through the worship of the Lord. Look at that. Through the worship. Verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, in the place of worship, beholding your power and glory. In the place of worship. God has revealed himself to David in his word, in prayer, in the corporate worship of believers, in the place where God has said to meet his people, and what David has seen of God is his power and his glory. Sounds a lot like Job, doesn't it? Seeing the, we talked about this morning, seeing the greatness of God and the glory of God, and here, David said, I have seen your, I have beheld your power, I have beheld your glory in worship. That's where it happens, in worship. So what do we do? We, we go to God's word. We go to prayer. We go to the worship of God with his people. Those are what we call the, the ordinary means of grace, the places where God is already there. The place, places where God is constantly ministering and dispensing grace and hearing and answering in his word, in prayer, and in the worship of his people. And this power and this glory, it's a power that's above all circumstance. He says, I've beheld your power, so I will praise you. It's a glory that can fill any empty heart and weary mind. And there's, that's why he says, my lips will praise you. But not only has he seen the power and glory of God, he has come to know the Lord's steadfast love, hasn't he? He says, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. In other words... Note once more then, this, this knowledge of God has, has come through this worship of God. I, I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He's, he's come to know the Lord this way, be, to behold the Lord this way, in the worship of the Lord. Now note how, how the first part of verse 4 is a response to verse 3. Verse 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, so I will bless you as long as I live. You see the connection there. As great as the, as the blessing of life is, David says there's actually something even better, even sweeter, even more precious than living. Namely, the steadfast love of the Lord, knowing God in his steadfast love. So David is going to take that lesser amazing gift of life and spend it 
praising the one who is greater. That's the key to really living. Spending our life praising God. In fact, that is why we were created. To praise him. David has come to this understanding by beholding the Lord that, that life cannot be, get any better than spending it praising and blessing the one who is better than life. So that's the first thing that we see, can observe. In verses 5 through 8, we can praise God anyway because God's past grace remains in the present. God doesn't change. His relation to his people, his care of his people, his attributes and his actions, they, he, he's, he's unchanging. His past grace remains in the present. So that's what we see in verses 5 through 8. David has even more reason. He's, he's not only beheld God in the worship of God and come to see more of his power and glory and love and so he's going to praise him anyway but even beyond that David knows God's power and glory he knows that God and God alone is going to satisfy that thirst and weariness God is great enough to fill up a destitute soul to overflow an empty heart David knows that is the case why? Because he remembers. He remembers. Look at verses, verses 2 and 3 now is what he's, he's remembering. You see what he says in verse 6? When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Now what is he remembering? He's remembering the power and the glory and the love of God that's what he's meditating on that's what he's remembering and so what he's doing here what's what's happening with David he's he's turning his attention from Absalom to God from what is seen to what is unseen from what is temporary to what is eternal from what is an earthly threat to, we would say, the everlasting arms of God. And when his soul, when David's soul is facing in the right direction, that's up. When David's soul is facing up to his God and beholding his God, he can praise even where he's at in this situation of being in the wilderness of Judah. He remembers God's past grace to him. Look at verse 7. He says, when I remember and when I meditate on you in verse 6 and verse 7, he says, you have been my help. You have been. You have always been there. You have always been present. You have always been my help. David remembers that you, God, my God, the all-powerful, glorious, loving God, you have always been there. I look back on my life and I can see 
God's hand. And we, we, all, we need to do this all the time, church. Uh, a lot of times the, the present circumstances of life, stresses and frustrations and fears cause us to, to not be able to see that God is at work. We have to trust that he's at work. But when we look back, we can, we can see. We give testimony to this all the time, don't we? We say, well, we look, we look back and we could see God was carrying us the whole way. Well, guess what? The same God that was carrying you the whole way back then is carrying you now. It might not feel that way. It might not seem that way. But God's past grace remains in the present. And so David says, I will sing for joy. You have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Now David is living in the shadow of death. But he understands he's being kept in the shadow of God's wings. And the fact that God has been his help in the past reminds him that he is his help in the present. He says, I will sing for joy. I, I will, my soul clings to you. And here's his statement for the present. Your right hand upholds me. That's right here and now. Your right hand upholds me. You have been my help. You are my help now. How did I survive this wilderness? How have I not been overcome by my circumstances? How has my soul, as thirsty and weary as I've become, how have I not shriveled up and and quit the faith? What has kept me going? What has kept me seeking? What has kept me believing? He says, your right hand upholds me. Being held in the hand of God is sufficient enough for any trial, any opposition, any hardship, any persecution. Absalom wanted so bad to get his hands on David, didn't he? But David was in God's hands. Remember that Lesson from this morning, nothing happens apart from the permissive hand of God. No one and nothing can pluck us out of that hand. Remember, dear saints, in, what, in whatever we are in, we are also in the hands of God. Remember that. In whatever, in whatever we are in, we are in the hands of God. Therefore, we can praise Him anyway. Third thing, last thing, verses 9 through 11, God is greater than any foe. God is greater than any foe. Verses 9 through 11, no matter how strong the foe or convincing the lie or great the deception or evil the scheme, if we are in the hands of God, our end is not defeat. Our end is rejoicing and exulting in God. Even in death. Even in death, our life is hidden in God. Our praise continues. We will praise Him anyway. Even if we die, we will continue to praise Him. We will rejoice again one way or the other. Evil will be overthrown. Liars will be silenced one way or the other. God will prevail. Therefore, 
if we are in him, so will we. We will reign with him forever. That is why we can praise him anyway. We can praise him anyway. Let evil threaten, let let liars lie. That's what they do. But let the people of God rejoice. Let us not be fearful. Let us not be shaken. Let us not seek revenge. Let us rejoice. For in the end, there will be no more evil. Why do we get so uptight? And we've already read the whole book, right? We know how it ends. We know how things are going to wrap up in history and fold over into eternity. We know in Christ's return, in the end, there will be no more evil. There will be no more lies. But listen to this. There will always be praise. Isn't that sweet? Everything evil will come to an end, but our praise will go on forever. Therefore, we can praise Him anyway. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.